Hey folks, welcome back. So we're in this series on growing whole families. And I told you last time that this one was going to be called Reflection, but I changed my mind because it makes more sense to do this one first. And this one's going to be called Power and Grace. Now, uh, I want to talk to you about where I'm headed with this series for just a second. The whole point of what I want to do here is to tell you some of the things that nobody told me and to reframe some things with more helpful metaphors. Because at some level, my entire worldview of relationships from when I was growing up has been deconstructed and almost flipped on its head. So I, I like to start with a little foundation work, which is what I did in the first episode. And then I'm going to do some of, some more of that today a little bit. And, and it's I hope that eventually I will get to some really practical day-to-day -day stuff. So it may seem a little bit like a slow starting movie, but I hope in the end that this will really be helpful for you. Uh, a couple of people have asked me about science that I've quoted. I quote a little bit of science. I read and watch quite a bit of it, and it may not seem like it, but I'm very cognizant of the accuracy of statistics that I quote. That matters. Accuracy matters. I usually don't quote anything that you can't just Google and find the answer out to pretty quickly. Uh, but my goal is to not get derailed by that. And so generally, I try to quote things that are only going to be pretty well agreed upon in the broad science world. Uh, so if you ever hear me quote something that sounds off, feel free to shoot me a question, comment, just ask, or better yet, Google it. So here's where I'm headed. Today, I want to talk about power because it undergirds every single thing that we do in every relationship that we have. And then I want to get down to the more day-to-day -day stuff that hopefully you can find uh, to be practical. Uh, I want to do an episode on the concept of space and, and uh, relationship and why that's so important to keep appropriate space. I want to talk about, uh, in one episode, motives in judging each other. I want to do one on truth and then this cycle that we get into in accusing and rebelling. Uh, I want to do an episode on how to listen, which my wife would balk at. And then I want to move into discussing uh, what a family is, not just a biological family, but what that whole concept means. And uh, I want to do one on creating circles. And so I hope that you will find all of this practical and helpful. And even as I podcast this, the irony is not lost on me that I struggle in my relationships even at this moment. It's this long process that every one of us needs grace for, and grace is where we're headed today. But first, power. Okay, so here we go. 99% of all energy on planet Earth comes from the sun. Every living thing, you and I and your boss and your crazy in-law and your dog and your real estate agent and the strep bacteria that's infecting your throat is all scrambling for a piece of the sunlight. So every conflict that you have, I would like to suggest, is about who gets how much sunlight. It's about power. It's this age-old conflict that's as old as life itself. It's the fundamental squabble of all humans and all animals everywhere on the planet. And I want to suggest that humans, including your friends, your employees, your bosses, your spouse, your in-laws, all of us should get a just and equitable piece of this power. I am pro-human. I, I want humans to be empowered, albeit equally. So power starts as energy. Now, the sun rains down on us about 4 million watts per acre of light energy onto the earth. And so then the earth does something with it. All right. Now that's a lot of energy. Most of it's wasted. It radiates uh, into heat and then back out into space, but we capture some of it. Now, the stuff that we capture Plants are what do the hard work. Plants start us off. They convert about 3 to 6% of the energy that they catch into biomass, which is mind-blowing through this process called photosynthesis. They turn energy into biomass with the Earth's elements, and, and then they become the base of our global food chain. 
So you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that pyramid that you may have learned about in college? Food and water sort of form the base of that pyramid. We can't do anything else in life without food and water. The basics are at the bottom. Now lots of wars have been fought over the basics, over food and water. Everything else that we will build in the world or has been built has been built on the backs of plants. So go think a plant today. Now, literally, when you look around, everything that is alive and everything that is moving and everything that is man-made is really just converted sunlight mixed with the Earth's elements. Plants, then animals came along, then us, and then the work that we have done with all of Earth's elements that all came from the energy of the sun. So the car you may be driving right now, the fossil fuels you're burning, the phone that you downloaded this to, the electricity you're using, the road that you're on, the houses on the street, the skyscrapers downtown, all of this are just Earth's elements sprinkled with the work of sunlight. Now, we can store some of this power once something useful grows out of it. So my pecan tree it grows something useful. It grows pecans from it. And the squirrels in my yard store them for later. And storing it, storing things, are the only, it's the only way that we can build great things. We have to be able to store. So thousands of years ago, we invented food storage systems to preserve power for later. So we have this giant grain silo that's filled with thousands or millions of calories of energy preserved for later, and that provides stability to build on. And we do it all the time. We put gas in tanks. We store electricity in batteries. We store food in our cabinets. We store words on paper. We store data on hard drives. And there are so many other unseen ways that are less tangible that we store this very real power and energy that we have gotten from the sun. So let me give you a few. One agreements okay essentially debt now thousands and thousands of years ago there was caveman Bob and Larry and they discovered language and they began to make agreements you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours so Bob uses some of Bob's energy to scratch Larry's back and now Larry owes Bob something because they are working together socially and we call that debt. But it's sort of like stored power because even though nothing forces Larry, Bob can reasonably expect to get his back scratched and if the social aspect of their relationship is going to work, that's how it's going to happen. So it's sort of like Bob stored his potential energy when he scratched Larry's back by giving it to Larry and he's going to expect it back like the potential energy released when you raise a ball up and drop it and it goes back to where it came from. It's kind of like Bob buried a pecan in Larry's yard and Bob gets to get it back one day. Now this agreements and favors, this gets really muddy at times, right? Because not everything is a formal agreement. And sometimes we can get into this place where we expect that person to scratch our back back and they didn't know they made the same agreement. But you have to know that every time that one person scratches another person's back, both of them have that imprinted in their memory and store away this little memory that says, you know what? Larry owes Bob back. Both of the people know, both the person who gave and the person who received, they have this thing that humans naturally have where they know who is in debt to who, even if they pretend like it's not there. You know this is true, right? So agreements and favors are this really tangible way that we store power. Now, say that you have a friend that... Uh, 
that overuses this goodwill, right? Like you have friends that you've probably silenced from Facebook because all they do is ask and ask and ask. And you're like, you know what? I'm not going to give and give and give. You have friends that take and take and take. And even though there was no tangible agreement, you get tired of them taking because you have a memory of all of the things that they have done. And you have sort of compared yourself and the things that you've given to them and the things that they've given back and returned to you. And if it's very unequal, you will eventually shut them down. You have another friend that doesn't ever ask for anything, and they've given and given and given to you, and you're like, yeah, I really owe them something, right? There is an unseen storage of power there because somebody gave you their energy. You are in debt to them. What they gave to you, you feel obligated to give back, and it's like they have a storage on your property, right? So agreements are one way. Now, fast forward later on. One day... Bob and Larry's great-grandkids, they get tired of trying to remember all everybody's agreements, and they figure out a more sophisticated system. They invent money. Money is converted power that we stored. It's a social construct, but it's very real. We humans got smart enough that we figured out that like, if you're going to work together, you can come up with a national system that's better than just having to trust everybody and remember all these agreements, and you can make trades with people who you don't even know. We came up with money. You scratch my back, I give you a cool five, and we're even paid. Right? So we build big societies on this currency and we figure out how to make it work in big systems with a common currency. And so now the storage itself is on paper. So you actually, you don't think about the people at McDonald's that sold you a hamburger three weeks ago and they don't think about you because the storage of energy is on paper. You gave it to them, agreement is now paid off we can all move on with our life and it's sort of like electricity in a battery that you can just hand back and forth we concentrated stored power onto paper and now we trade it with each other it's just a little weird because like one time i walked out of my bank with my entire life savings in an envelope and i was like this is crazy I have literally have years worth of hard work and blood and sweat and tears that has been converted by our strange system to a few pieces of paper that I can now hold in my hand. And on one hand, it's just paper, but on the other hand, it's very real because in our system, I can take this paper and I can go redeem it for a new car, a house, a bunch of electronics if I wanted to be silly, like hordes of donuts or whatever. So like money is this amazing universal battery that we store power in. Now, there are other ways that we store power that are also social, less tangible maybe, but just as real. One of them is your reputation. You build power in your name by giving more than you take. That's how we build a reputation is we give more than we take and it stores up power really in other people's property is whenever you go back to the agreements that I was talking about earlier and you sort of overdo your part and you do good deeds, which is when you give somebody more energy than they gave you back or more energy than they gave you money for or whatever. So it's not always money. It's not always work, but whatever you give to them is more valuable than the thing that they gave back to you. Maybe it's just a listening ear that you gave to somebody for free. You know uh, a listening ear is worth quite a bit, right? You know how much money people pay for counselors and coaches? So whatever it is, they know that, that you've done whatever you have done for them is more than what uh, they've given you back. And they start to trust you and they believe that you have some margin for them and they begin to respect you and they begin to like you that you give to them at least as much as or perhaps more than they gave back to you. They like you about it and they begin to talk well about you, which actually raises your stock price and it's sort of a gift in and of itself back to you. Just the, the words that they would say about you in the community that you live in is actually going to build up this reputation that you have which becomes like a giant bank account or your empire or maybe a big building or complex that you built you can destroy it pretty fast but it takes a long time to build it 
And in the end, you have something very valuable that's yours that people can't take away, which is your reputation. Now, human social interaction is exponentially more powerful than working alone, and that's why people would say that a reputation is worth so much, right? Human social interaction is what makes our species great because we can do so much more together, and the whole is so much more than the sum of the parts. So your reputation is a whole lot more valuable than like straight money or property because your reputation can cost or get you a job. It can cost or get us tangible property. And the funny thing about reputation is it's, it's on one hand all about perceived power, right? Because perception in a social world matters a whole lot. And so the more good reputation you have, the more people actually want to give you. And it's kind of like that principle of he who has will be given more and he who does not have even what he has will be taken away. So if you see a poor person on the street, you kind of blow them off naturally like, no, they're just a poor person. But like Tom Cruise could walk into a restaurant and they're like, oh, we're going to cop you the meal, man. This one's on us. Even though he's like the least likely in the place to need financial help because we want to buddy buddy up to people with a good reputation and perception matters a lot so you have worked for years and years building this thing that you were aware of at one level and totally forget at another sometimes that all of the goodwill that you have built up through your kindness your help your generosity the times when you've given more than you've taken the games that you've played the trust that you've built there's this invisible thing growing being stored up the whole time we would say that you're rich in friends you have a good reputation and then sort of like reputation it's sort of built on a reputation is our network now that's a term that i cringe at because of its danger to commodify people which it does because nonetheless it's a, it's a reality which is why it became a term and your network impacts your net worth one of the things from a sheerly like completely selfish financial standpoint that so many people don't realize is that investing in your network pays back dividends like tenfold it's a great great investment some people would even send their kids to private schools or private colleges and spend thousands and thousands of dollars extra that they don't have to because they know that just by their kids making friends in those places that they're going to get a one-up leg in the business world one day and it's going to pay them back financially so much more it's like if you have a network of 25 friends who are each worth a million dollars and you have rapport with them you sort of have like this untapped line of credit that's worth millions. And even though they're not going to give it all to you, the power of the potential there is worth so, so much. Just the backing of the friendships can mean so much to us and our status. Now, it's another one I want to talk about. Similar to network power and also built on reputation as our group status which is another form of power but this one is just uh, more isolated within a group so like whatever social group that you're a part of you sort of have a, a role in that group and you have a stock price so like in one hand you may go to your job and be really important in that arena and then you may go to your church and be less important in that arena or you go to a family reunion and you're less important over there but you have a status within your group now it gets messy. Life in a group and people's status can get really messy because it's all based on perception and it's all based on reputation and it's built on things that we would say can be manipulated. Now manipulation is whenever you just are actually kind of tricking people into uh, trading one form of power for another and they get the raw end of the deal and you get a leg up. But uh, in a group information is key because uh, like a secret that you hold could be so powerful in a negative way like if there's something about you that your group doesn't know that could get you cast out of the group or could get you shamed within the group that could be really powerful so group status really relies a lot on information now negative information can really do damage to you so a secret is like info that can be leveraged and used against you and so like you know those nosy people who always pry for more information 
attention and, and that's power to them and you're like whoa, whoa, whoa I don't mind giving you information because we want to talk and, and that provides me a social outlet outlet but like what are you gonna do with the information I give you because if you don't trust somebody if you sense that this information is going to be used for them and possibly against you it's going to lower your stock price within the group just so that they can maybe raise theirs a little bit you're not going to give it to them like i've known people that i refuse to give personal info to because i'm concerned they might do like a short sell on me and like sort of twist it or coerce it or use it in a way that would be negative or harmful or damage my own little empire all in an effort to make a quick profit for them so we call that gossip right maybe maybe they think good gossip is going to get them connection or something else they need right so you know these people and you can be that person too and i can too that's what we're doing when we gossip we are using information in a group status uh environment in order to raise our status and at the at the expense of that we lower someone else's now these are all interpersonal, but let me give you a few more that uh, a few more ways that excuse me that we uh, interact with our relationship that we can store power. So another form of potential energy or stored power would be our health. So the ability to do physical work, like that's going to earn a lot of people their salary this week, right? And the ability to walk, people will spend millions of dollars on if they're unable. The ability to talk and think clearly has earned some people billions over their life. Now, another form of power is our intellect and our education, which is huge in today's world, which is why we spend years and years educating our kids in school. It's like we're building their own little empire of power in their brain by all of the things that they learn. So another form of potential energy or stored power, and this one is pretty big and unseen, is order. So like if you order things in a certain way, then they can be used and leveraged to move the world forward or get you whatever you need. So you set things up to be used and then you use them. So if I have a clean house, dishes are put up, everything's in its place, truck is parked in the garage, it's washed and it's got a full tank of gas and there's a fresh toilet paper roll properly installed in a nice top rolling position and the bills are paid. I have stored power in my order to do whatever I want to and the the dirty dishes, uh, I can dirty the dishes and I can use my truck and my kids can overuse the toilet paper and then once all of that is spent, I have to sort of build that back up again. I have to get it back into to order again it's stored power and, it, and it's why like whenever we get into ruts and we're running on fumes or we have relationship issues you can often physically see it just by walking through our house because we can't keep up with life and it starts to fall apart on us and that happens in a real physical way and we start to lose a sense of order so like this is free but you can teach yourself about yourself just by uh, like looking around your house and seeing how much order is there in particular you can even look in the places in your house like did I clean all of the common areas and my closets are just stuffed full of junk because if that's that's what's happening what does that say about my personality and what I do in other places of life hiding things in the closet so there's all sorts of ways that it bears itself out in the world but it's all about power and stored energy okay one more that we uh, that I that I have to go through a form of power or energy that is so often overlooked that we live by is our own battery it's our emotional energy that comes from connection it's what puts us in the group and lets us know that we get to be a part of this human system it's like our own internal battery that we get drive and energy from is the connection with people around us and what they pour into us it lets us know that we are human now we get it when people hear us and when they listen to us and this starts when we're babies when people listen to what we're doing and they pay attention to us they work alongside of us and they give to us so some of us are starving right now for some physical touch from somebody who cares some of us are starving for a compliment like our batteries may be 
empty. Uh, science would say that we need about three compliments for every correction from somebody else in order to be healthy. Teachers call it the three to one ratio. You cannot sit there and demean a student and tell them, give them corrections over and over and over again. They need to have at least three compliments for every correction. It's like just being human and giving and living drains this emotional battery within us on a given day and we need people to see us and notice us and listen to us and compliment us and recognize us and thank us to fill back up the battery. We need that pat on the back to keep our heads up. Okay, so those are just all a few examples of potential or stored energy or power. And remember that it's all stored sunlight that we're squabbling over, which is funny because sunlight's free and abundant and it's how we know God favors Texas. But this is what all relationship problems are born out of. Now, some people have a lot of one type of power and very little of another. So you can have a ton of money and very little emotional energy in your battery. You, you may have a very clean and orderly well home with well-behaved kids and good relationships and not have very, very much intellect. You may have a ton of intellect and no money. You, you may have an amazing relationship with a girlfriend and you traded your relationships with your other friends to get that relationship. You may have traded your money for your health. Most of us spend the first 30 years of adulthood losing our health to make money and then the last 30 years trading that money back to keep as much health as possible, right? Now, another thing that's really important to know is that uh, you can virtually convert all of these types of power from one to another somehow we figured out ways to do it so like we can convert electrical energy to light energy with a flashlight that's pretty simple but you can also use your intellect to solve a problem and get paid big money for it so you can convert your intellect into money you, you can uh, you can buy favor with people and sometimes the conversion ratios can be astounding because sometimes favor can cost a whole lot more than what we think it should. You, you can trade your energy today by going out and doing a good deed for somebody else or by making somebody else cookies. You can convert your energy to their good will towards you. You can trade your money for a car, which is another form of stored value. It's an asset. You can hire a housekeeper to clean from, for you, and that will give you save you some physical energy. You can give your kids ice cream so that they'll give you praise where you may feel lacking in your emotional battery because, good grief, kids, could you just be thankful for something? <laughs> You can pay your electric bill and receive a service for it. So there's like so many different forms of power and they're all separate, yet they're all connected somehow to each other. Okay, now the next place I want to go in this podcast is this. Let's just say it. We all want more power. We are power seekers this is what we do. There is a thing within us that wants more. Some of us deny this because we think, well, I don't want that type of power, but we all want more power. It is hardwired in the human psyche to seek more power every day when you get up that's what we're doing all day long as we are walking around the earth trying to figure out how much of this sunlight we can get now it looks different you may seek a different type of power than me but it's still power it may look different for average men and women like women tend towards uh, seeing power in their family connections and their status among women or maybe their status as a mom or their status in some different ways men may seek power more outside the family and almost view the family as a means to an end they may seek it in their jobs or whatever but different people are different so uh, we all seek power and we we all feel attached to this need for power and we all want more of it now I know that can be depressing and if you really dwell on it it can be deeply disturbing it can cause you to lose hope for humanity because you thought that people were nice to you before just because you were awesome and you realize that's not true, 
or because like that's a good person and they were nice to me because they were a good person like how many times have you heard people say well i'm just losing hope in humanity well i'm sorry you had hope in humanity at the very beginning there are no good people as opposed to the bad people there are seven and a half billion power seekers on planet earth there's not a single good deed not a single word, not a single thing that anyone in any relationship that you have that they can do for you outside of their desire for more power. I didn't say they couldn't give you power, but they can't do anything unattached from their drive for more power. So if you thought otherwise, I know I'm ruining your day, but your friends aren't that awesome, and here's the deal, neither are you, and neither am I. Spiritual people refer to this as a carnal desire or a fleshly, worldly impulse or passion or maybe a lust for more. Those are all the same concepts, just in different contexts. And I'm, I'm going to talk more about this in the motives episode, but I want to move on here. Okay, So let's recap. So power is stored energy. Everything that we do is born from power and searching for more energy. It comes in different forms. It can be traded, and we all have an insatiable appetite for more. Now that brings us to the next move here. Uh, we are all on a spectrum. So imagine a spectrum. That's a line moving from left to right, and it goes on the left end, you have surviving, and in the middle, you have thriving, and on the right end of the spectrum, you have dominating. I call it the STD spectrum. <laughs> uh, on the left end is someone who is just surviving. You're surviving, you're in a position of poverty or stress or great pain. Your only goal for the day may just be to just make it to the end of the day. Maybe it's an acute moment in which you had this thing happen to you and you're just like, could I just make it to the bed tonight so I can wake up tomorrow and try this again? But some people are more in a long-term battle for survival. And so like... From that point, surviving can just sound awesome and you can be like, well, I'll be forever thankful if I ever just get to this point of surviving. So like when I was a kid, we went through a few years where we were in pretty bad poverty. And I just remember thinking over and over again, like I remember times thinking like if we could make it until tomorrow. And then I remember uh, just thinking as sort of the theme there for a couple of years, like, boy, if we only had, like if we only made 20000 a year, we would be stable and we promise we'd never ask for more. We'd be happy. We would be content. We wouldn't need any more because the people around us that have that much, they look like they're doing great. Like that sounds awesome from there. But then you all know what happens. Like over time, you get some relief, and that's not what happens. Um, when I was in Appalachia doing some relief work, uh, we were in this really podunk school out in the country, and the teacher there had asked the kids to draw their dream home. And this one kid drew a double-wide trailer, and it was like, if I could just live in the double-wide, I would never need anything else. But life goes good for you, right? And let's say you get some relief and you're no longer in survival mode. Like you move up on the spectrum a little bit and you're surviving pretty well. Things go well for you and you build your life. You're not in dire circumstances anymore. But how do you feel? Do You, you don't really feel, you may feel a sense of relief, but you don't feel satisfied because of your appetite, it's sort of like like whenever you eat and you're not going to be forever satisfied, you're going to want some more because of your drive within you. So you move into this place where you're doing more than just surviving, and a lot of times we don't even realize it. We begin to sort of thrive, and we're paying the bills. We're moving rightward on the spectrum. We might say we're moving up. You're paying bills, and you are not in the place anymore where you're just trying to make it till tomorrow, you begin to think more long term and you start to think about what it's going to be like five years from now and you start to make plans for that, but you still feel the same way, right? 
the financial statistic that I've heard in a couple of places is that the average one of us thinks that we'll be happy with about 15 to 20% more than what we currently make, right? And it's not just all about money. It can be about any of the forms of power that I mentioned. You may have gone from being like totally lonely to having a lot of friends. And like when you were lonely, you were thinking, man, like I don't have any friends in this new place. And you were like, I will be friends with anybody here, I promise. I'll include anybody in my circle. I'll never be rude again to anybody. I won't be a jerk. If I could just have some good friends, I'll talk to anybody here. And then you slowly grow some good relationships and find yourself in a social group. And it's a few years later. And then that person walks in that annoys you. And you're in your social group and you turn the other way and you pretend not to see them, what happened? You lost appreciation for the power that you have because you're still wanting to move rightward on the spectrum from surviving to thriving and then forward even more. And the thing that never changes is your appetite to get more you eventually won't even notice and when you're thriving you don't quit trying to move up the spectrum because you didn't quit being human we don't stop there we still focus on us and we start to make even longer term plans and we start to think about ourselves in a bigger way and we slowly creep up into the area in which we start to sort of use other people we start to necessarily in order for my life to go this way well it just has to be this way I have to use that guy for that service and it's okay because I'll pay them or whatever the the case may be but then you start to use people and power in your reputation and the things that you have become manipulative and you don't even realize it and you can easily and you will easily slide into a place and where you're creeping up into the area and you start to really use people without realizing it. Maybe there are two or three tiers underneath you in your corporate structure at work or whatever, and you're using them and you become dominating over them and you start to intimidate them without even realizing it and you become a dominator. And yet you never feel like you're there. You haven't gotten enough power yet because your appetite for power never, ever changes. It's where like a lot of so-called justice movements fall short. Like they'll seek justice for this particular cause until they have more justice than they than the next group of people but by this time they have a system that's designed only to feed more power into that particular space in life and so like whenever they get more power to that group of people then that people gets there in the middle they've got this system that's designed to just give them more power and it's not going to stop and so after a while it becomes less compelling because it's not actually seeking justice and that system in order to keep itself alive can become very manipulative just to get more so it works on a systemic level too and it's why three-fourths of us want term limits for politicians because we all know what politics does to someone you just can't stay in politics too long with too much power it happens to all of us it's also why it's easier to gain weight than it is to lose it. And I'm here to suggest that moving leftward on the STD spectrum from surviving to thriving to dominating to move down the spectrum once maybe you've gotten too far up it is going to be every bit as difficult as losing weight. You will fight tooth and nail against it because your brain is hardwired to constantly seek more power. We would call it the selfish parts of us, our flesh, our carnal desires, whatever. But our brain is never satisfied with its appetite, and it will attempt to move towards domination. Moving left is not something that you will ever unintentionally do. Moving left on the spectrum, giving up power, does not happen by accident. Now, let's talk about moving left. If moving right on the spectrum from surviving to thriving to dominating is gaining power, then moving left on the spectrum is when we lose power. Nobody wants loss. We call it pain. In fact, everything that you and I get upset about is essentially a loss of power. 
Now that's quite a statement, and so I want to explain. I didn't say every time you lose power you get upset. Some people are really good at letting go. They don't get upset every time they lose power, and we call that maturity because they know how to emotionally deal with loss in a healthy way. But I did say that everything we get upset about is about one thing. It's about a loss of power. So let me give you just a few examples. Like Some are obvious. The stock market crashes. You lose a ton of money. You just lost power. Your car crashes. You lost money, maybe physical health, financial loss. You move quickly down the spectrum in some areas of your life to the left, and you lost power. Uh, I could lose my fantasy football competition, right? Loss of status, loss of power. It's just as important in so many people as physical health or other power because being social is so important. Um your son's teacher doesn't recognize the good thing that he's doing. You just lost the potential power of relationship or better grades or bragging rights or feeling good or having emotional battery charged, social power. Your wife says that your butt looks big in those jeans, right? You lost the perceived power of looking good, which is a very powerful force. You have a headache or physical pain or you become immobilized or unable to do your full range of activities. Pain is directing your brain's physical attention to something else that matters more than conquering the world right now. And so you lose power by having to take time to restore your health. Your mom and dad are controlling you. They, you, you want to let go of them so that you can grow and flourish and become powerful yourself. But right now, you're just their underling. And they're maybe even using you to receive a sort of power and status and control or security of their own. Right? Or your husband doesn't spend enough time with the kids, and you are perceiving a loss of the flourishing family relationships you want, and this isn't headed right on the spectrum the way you thought it was going to. And you may not think that's a power thing, but you haven't seen two grandmas compare photos yet of their grandkids, right? <laughs> uh, how we respond to moving left to a loss on the spectrum is very telling and really there's two ways that we can react. If you have a loss, we can rush to fix it and scramble to get the power paid back or to get more power for ourselves or we can let go. We can react in a couple of ways. One, the first way, it's just really my term, as I say, we can react with anger, right? And so what I mean by that is anger is when you bounce something off of you onto the rest of the world or you are seeking payment from somewhere else for the thing that went wrong, for the loss. You want to fix it quickly. Some people say, I'm a control freak. That's just a, a roundabout way of saying, I want other people to fix the things that go wrong quickly. Uh, you, you basically deny any payment for the things that go wrong or for the loss. You're like, I ain't paying, I ain't paying the late fees. You may not feel the emotion of anger, but you're projecting it onto someone else or refusing to pay for the loss. So you go back to my examples, like your husband doesn't spend enough time with the kids. Anger would be when you push that onto your husband by nagging or yelling or maybe passive aggressiveness or trying your best to make your hubby pay for that thing. And maybe he should be paying for it, I don't know. But mom and dad are controlling you. Instead of talking to them, you burst into a rage about it. You get out of my space, you yell, I want my own power back. You're very condescending or you make snappy comments or maybe you slide some poison into your relationship secretly without wanting to be discovered so that you wouldn't look like the bad person. So there's so many ways that you could try to make them pay for your loss. Or um, your wife says your, your butt looks big in those jeans and you say like something to her to make her feel bad along with you, which actually doesn't restore any real power. It just restores relative power of yours to hers, which is the only other human in the room. It restores your perceived power. The stock market crashes. Oh, that's a tough one because now there's no one to pay for our loss. And that's why so many people in 1929 committed suicide. See, if it's our own loss, we can get angry. We can project it onto others and seek sort of uh, reparations for that loss. Or we can mourn and let go. Those are really our only options. But what about somebody else's loss? 
like we can respond to someone else's loss of power in a couple of different ways and they're really essentially the same ways we can respond by trying to get something for ourselves or we can respond by just being there and by giving them something like we can respond because like we can try to build up our own karma by doing them a good deed but it's really just to get something for ourselves maybe a good favor with other people or good favor with God and you're actually thinking that you're going to get something out of the deal like somebody else could go through an actual financial loss a loss of a friend an accident a major move uh, that involves a loss of power and you can rush in and do a couple of different things number one you can rush in and be the hero and sort of seek something out for that and you know how many people who have been hurt by our good advice that we would try to give and really they can sense and they can smell that when you say these silly things like you know god just wanted another angel that that you are saying those things in an attempt to not be there with them or hurt with them or give to them your consolation but in order to like bump up your intellect or your stock price they can smell that or whenever you use their illness for your fears to like find some sort of security for your fears by explaining away their illness or their bad situation and people know that you are not giving to them in a moment of loss people don't want you around and it's really interesting so I like you could take a 30 year old father of three who's wealthy and powerful in the community and they have an auto accident and they're paralyzed from the waist down and you you have this sense of shock and you watch and the whole community will rush there to help while all the while maybe there was another person in the same community who's been paralyzed since birth and no one is sitting there giving to them and it can make our giving in somebody else's loss very suspect and it's why the best way to give to people who are going through loss is to actually give them something that's going to help them and not just ourselves now we could all agree let's go back to the spectrum uh, surviving to thriving to dominating I think we could all agree that survival mode isn't a good way to live forever and we could all agree that domination mode where we squash other people also isn't a good way to live forever and it's not easy okay we should all theoretically agree that humans were built to thrive and we were built to thrive together and that's where we want to be and if everyone is thriving together we call that peace and wholeness and justice now there's a couple of things that we need to remember and uh, here they are one we're all in this together Everybody's selfish. We all want to move right. And we all have this thing called an empathy bubble because of our limited memory where we are only empathic for the people who are close to us on the survive, thrive, dominate spectrum. We don't even understand the people who are on the other end of the spectrum. And we have a really hard time connecting with them and giving to them. And so we're all selfish. We all want to move right. And we all have a hard time having empathy for people on the far end of the spectrum, whether that's people who are very poor whether that's the people who have no friends whatsoever, whether that's people who have lots of friends, lots of assets, and are rich, and we just like, I don't understand their power and, and their struggles and their power. Now, another thing we need to remember is that moving right on the spectrum is also not a bad thing if we move right together. We all want humans to thrive. We all want humans to have less disease, less sickness, more power, more wealth, a higher standard of living for everyone. Okay, a third thing is that no one can give and give and give and never get payment back. We should never expect other people to lose power whenever we know ourselves that we are hardwired and we don't want to lose power. We live in a culture that says take what you can get, get the cheapest thing possible, which means get the most out of somebody else, like get that deal at the garage sale and kind of talk them down. And nobody can give and give and give to you and never get payment back. Uh, another thing that we need to remember is that relationships are going to cost us power. And in order to have a relationship, we are going to need to move 
to the left on the spectrum where we don't want to naturally go. And that's why this all matters in relationships. See, there's this opposing force that I believe in. We want relationship, and that takes grace. Now, to fully understand grace, we need to understand truth. I'm going to do a whole episode on truth and motives, and then I'll get back to grace some there, but I need to say some things about it here. This is my favorite topic. Grace is when you voluntarily move left on the spectrum. It's when you deny your power appetite for someone else's sake. It's when you lose power intentionally or you don't seek to gain power just because you're so human and you have so much empathy and you see something in other people that you understand that they matter as much as you and you deny yourself any more power for their sake. Now, there are a lot of things that masquerade as grace. There are thousands of ways to look like you're having grace for someone and actually you're sliding hidden cards under the table and manipulating. Like you're attempting to gain a different type of power and you hope they don't see you and you put on the mask of empathy, right? You, you, you may give someone a $20 bill while you're really just attempting to store up $20 worth of favor with them. Or you want to feel good about yourself because you need that. You, you might preach a funeral even and use it to make yourself look like a good preacher, so like as I said before, you can go sit with someone who is hurting and you give them advice, but you're seeking to look smart out of the deal. You may even give thousands of dollars towards your kids' education and sports in hopes that one day you can wear the label of awesome parent. Now, this is incredibly tricky and we can be self-deceiving in all of this, which is like we can do this in our subconscious, which is why a really wise man one time said that let your giving be done in secret and the divine one who sees what is done in secret will reward you because giving in complete secrecy is the only way that you can remove your urge for selfish gain from your gift. When's the last time you gave and you purposefully made sure that no one knew about it? That could change you. That's true grace. That's giving with zero expectation of any repayment in any form, emotional or otherwise. True grace happens when you are non-controlling. You are not out to get power for yourself. And the same person who can give in secret is the same person who doesn't get angry and demand others pay for their own losses in their own time of loss, who doesn't yell at the cable guy, who is also the same person who can truly give to you in a time of your loss without it being manipulation or therapy for them, right? It's the same person, and you knew that was true, didn't you? That grace is when you let people be people, and you identify as a giver regardless of what the universe around you does or tries to take from you. Now, for now, like grace doesn't mean having no boundaries. Grace doesn't mean saying yes to everyone all the time. Grace doesn't mean letting people walk on you or have their way. Grace is a lifestyle of forgiveness, which means that you don't try to reach in and regain your loss or control someone else. And you may say, well, like, what about when I'm in a relationship with somebody and they keep taking and taking and taking from me like I'm trying to mind my own business and they keep doing this thing to me and I'm feeling like a doormat? This and this is not grace. Um, if you're not at peace in a relationship, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there will always be a way you are empowering someone else's take advantage of you. 
taking advantage of you. And, and I think you intuitively sense it, and that's why you're not at peace. It's not because of what they're doing to you is getting done to you. It's because you know somewhere in your psyche and your subconscious that you're giving them the power to do it, and you are deeply unsettled by that fact. Because otherwise, I mean, Nelson Mandela kept it together through 27 years of prison, and martyrs have died for their faith with joy and boldness, and Mother Teresa happily lives and gives and peacefully lives in poverty without payback. Like, I think you could handle a mean comment from your coworker with a little more dignity, right? I think you're upset because you are somehow empowering it, even if you can't put your finger on how. It took me four kids and seven years of parenting to realize that I don't have to discipline my kids. I don't have to fix all the bad stuff that they've done or punish it away from them. I just have to be someone who lives by grace. I just choose what I want to empower, and that's in my power, and the rest of it that I'm not empowering will die away in due time when I trust. And I'm a softie. My kids can be a mess. I mean, just yesterday I had three kids whining about not wanting to wear blue jeans. <laughs> I'm like, they're like, oh, it's scratchy on my legs. But I'm like, you know what? Like, uh, there's some worse problems that people have in the world than your blue jeans are scratchy on your legs. And so, like, guess what? I can get really upset about that, but I don't have to buy their softy leggings and sweatpants, and I can even throw them away because I hold the aces, right? Kevin Lehman says with your kids, just make sure that B doesn't happen until A gets done because you hold the aces and and, and until, like, like, hey, you feed them three times a day. Guess what? You don't do your chores dinner's going to be waiting on you. It may be cold, right? Like, if you're stubborn, it may be tomorrow. But, you know, I've never lost a kid. I've never had a kid not make it till tomorrow. Matter of fact, I don't fight my kids, and it's a whole lot more peaceful of a house whenever we live like that because, you know, you just, if it sounds like I'm being a jerk, you need to know that, like, when I didn't have boundaries and I empower them by continuing to give to them and give to them and give to them, I'm actually the jerk then. And it goes round and round in cycles, and we all get mad at each other. But if you know that you have the power as a parent, then you then you can then you can hold the aces, and you can sit here and say, you know what, B doesn't happen until A gets done, and that's just what I choose to empower within my own boundaries. And so we're all at peace. And even my kids would rather me live this way. It's so much happier in a peaceful house, and we don't dicker and argue about stuff like that whenever I just live within my own boundaries. And so I'm not stuck trying to figure out what I should and shouldn't fix. The only thing that I have to fix in my relationship is myself. And you know what? With your kids, like they want to be like you because they're your kids. From the moment they are born, they copy everything we do, as as even from an infant. And so... If you have kids, quit fighting them. But you can quit fighting your bosses. You can quit fighting your coworkers. You can quit fighting your spouse. You can quit fighting your friends over things whenever you just truly live within your own boundaries and you choose to empower the things that you're compelled to empower and you let go of the ways that you're not, that you're not wanting to empower other people. Now, take a deep gulp because it's going to be hard for you. Sometimes you'll feel like you're walking away from something, but you have grace for other people also means that you're having grace for yourself. And grace is for everybody, and it actually is the thing that says you shouldn't keep empowering that if it's hurting you because you're just living out of fear of what would happen if you stop empowering that person that's taking advantage of you. That's not grace. Like wives, I can tell you, your husband or your kids for that matter will change the minute that you quit empowering them. And you do it with kindness because you're not being a jerk just because you decide you don't want to prop up something anymore. Just because you don't want to empower bad habits does not mean that you're the bad person. Uh, don't nag them. A, it doesn't actually change them. B, it puts them in opposition and shoves labels onto everybody as the bad guy. And, and C, nagging is just a way of saving energy or protecting yourselves from having to take real action that's risky. But you know what? In the risk that something bad might happen, we also risk something good happening. And like men, if your wife is controlling you, like what are you scared of? 
Or if your boss is not treating you like a human and giving you the resources that you need and believing in you, like stand up for yourself and say what you need. Uh, what, what would it look like to stop empowering the people that are taking advantage of you? I know that's easier said than done, but when you can reclaim the power of your dignity and your space and your appropriate boundaries as a human being in the context that you find yourselves in, then you can be in a better position to empower the good in people rather than spending all of your time trying to put out fires. Like you essentially turn from focusing on stopping everything and beginning to focus on what can I start from trying to take away power to giving power. Like what can I empower in this world? That's a great question. What can I give my energy to? That sounds hopeful. From living negatively into a life where you're living positively. From living as fundamentally critical to fundamentally hopeful. It's the difference between living in fear and stuck in sadness or being fully alive in the present. Now, quick suggestion. Be a person of your word. If you've made commitments to the relationships around you, keep them. Like Maybe you shouldn't have made them, but maybe also you could pay that debt off and still hold together your integrity. Maybe you made a bad commitment. And and you can't get out of it. And maybe you could figure out a way to ask for forgiveness or figure out a way to settle it so that you don't have to live underneath it perpetually. But if it's just like patterns and tacit expectations of how this is supposed to go and people are controlling you in ways that you never gave them permission to, whether it's your kids, your employees, your boss, your mom, your spouse, your coworkers, or your preacher, just quit. I never signed up for that power trade-off. Like you are not holding our relationship over my head in ransom for my continued patronage to your cause of power. I quit. It, it's really, it's the, the power behind the Exodus story in the Bible, right? Like I never signed up to be a slave. I never signed up to get abused. I never told you you could do this to me. You took advantage of me. I'm not going to let you do this anymore. And that's actually the backside of the same coin that we call grace because we're no longer slaves. And when I free myself, I also free you Quitting doesn't mean that you get a divorce. It doesn't mean that you quit your job or destroy a lifelong relationship. That's not the exodus. I wish it were that easy. What it means is a far more daunting challenge. It's that you quit the lifestyle of empowering that toxic crap that's held together by your fear or your sadness that you haven't let go of. That's the daunting challenge and that's the quitting I'm talking about. And that's going to take some introspection. When you quit engaging that fight, Fighting is an act of cooperation and you can lay down your weapons and walk away from the fight and quit empowering it to happen without actually walking away from the relationship. And if you can find that uh, you just can't stop yourself from engaging when they bring up that topic or said that thing, and you find that it's just like too tempting to jump in every time and engage them in the fight, and, oh, I just had to say that thing and I shouldn't have, but I did, you had better dig and ask yourself the hard question, what lies about myself have I believed that keeps me in this pattern of needing to do this and not being able to resist it? Like, you know, when you walk into a casino and there's that poor person sitting there with this glazed look on their face over at the, the one-armed bandit and they just keep pulling the handle wasting their money on slots, giving up their soul to this machine. You look like that when you can't quit engaging the same fight over and over again. Just pull the handle one more time and see what happens. And if it's too resistible, too irresistible to get up and walk away from it, you better pay attention to it. But walk away. And when you do, it will set you free from being bitter about it. Rob Bell says that grace is when you set someone free in your heart and then you realize it was you. Forgiving others and forgiving ourselves happens simultaneously because they are two sides of the same coin that come from the same place.
It's a new way of living, and it's called grace. And it says that I am no longer going to mindlessly chase after power in an unintentional pursuit of just building my empire. I am more highly evolved than that. I'm not just going to use people as my slaves to build my reputation, to build up my confidence, to build up my emotional battery, to take whatever I need from someone else without respecting them. I'm going to respect people's boundaries and their personhood and their soul, and that even includes my own. It's a practice that takes discipline and constant reminders because we have the power appetite that's just a drive within us. It takes constant awareness and realigning, so much so that like one man said, that it would be like dying to yourself every day. But over time, you can develop a newer way of living and you transform and you will never fully die to yourself every single day. That's why it's going to be a daily thing, but it can still happen and slowly can change our lives and can even change the world. I believe that grace is what we're ultimately striving for. And we hadn't realized all of the sacrifices involved, but we also haven't realized how much they're worth it your relationships and the people around you are worth it. Your connection to them is worth it. You can stop empowering them and then controlling them and pretending like you were empowering them for their good. You can stop playing the back and forth game and using people and in doing so, you can stop letting people use you. You can listen to them, you can feel with them, you can connect and you'll discover a brand new type of power because grace is more powerful than power. Essentially, when you, when you are giving to the big cause of the world around you without respect, expecting return, and you're at peace with that, you're actually saying that your life, that you believe in something bigger. It's the fastest way to build a better world with all of our collective human power because it saves us mountains of energy and time that we would otherwise spend squabbling over captured sunlight. And that thing that we're building together, this world is something that I still get to be connected to in some transcendent way so that my loss is actually a gain when it's no power gain for me at all. I might call it believing in a higher power because like if all there is is what we can see and it's just me in my context then there is no logical reason for you or I to give up any bit of power purposefully like hoard all of the sunlight you can don't even attempt to slow down your appetite by all means dominate if you don't believe in something bigger because that's what you're going to get and that's it. And who cares if you destroy all your relationships in the process because they're not going to remember you in a hundred years. But I think that you believe in something transcendent and it's why you give. I think you see and understand and feel some sense of beauty or amazement or awe or transcendence or otherworldliness when you give without payment and without repayment and it's compelling to you. It's why epic movies are based on this whole theme. And you know deep down inside that grace is more powerful than power. And it's why I, Seth, I can only idolize someone, a person who literally gave everything they had to the point of actual death for the cause of others because I know that uh, that, that person got nothing whatsoever in return for it. And it's why 2,000 years ago, people wrote about this image of a crucified hero. And one guy said that that's actually the image or archetype of what a husband and a wife should make their relationship look like. That two people, when they're in relationship, pour out their lives for others for the other, not in a fake sort of giving, not in a manipulative sort of giving, but in a real sacrificial giving that they produce something bigger than themselves for the world. It's why a spiritual person might say that our relationships have to be built on God because true grace 
is more powerful than power.